Welcome, welcome. Figured we go live just a couple minutes early to let people hop in and have it show up in their news feed. Today we're gonna to be in the large catechism, so if you need it, uh, you can uh, click on the link there and that'll take you to or, over to our website where I put it up for free. Uh, otherwise, in just a moment when people get in, we'll, uh, we'll look at the page numbers of the different editions. Uh, oh, thank you, Karen. Hello, Kathy, welcome. Yeah, I think I have uh, no less than three editions of the Book of Concord right next to me. So once everybody hops in, we'll, we'll figure out what page number we're on and, and we'll go from there. Good morning. And figure we'll, we'll live stream from, from out here again this morning. It's, it's a nice backdrop to have a Bible study, you know, with that. So. Yep, we are in the large catechism, and I think we'll we'll just go back to the beginning of the, uh, I guess, the fifth part, which is on the sacrament of the altar. Uh, we started it last week, but uh, for the sake of you know a clean start, uh, we'll just go back to the beginning. Uh, so that's the the large catechism part uh, five. Yeah, which. Uh, if you're paging through the large catechism, see if you can find what is in the small catechism that's not in the large catechism. And off the top of my head, I, I can think of two things, but there's one thing in particular uh, that comes to mind. Let's see. So... Uh, I've got three editions of the Book of Concord here. Uh, if you have this one at home, uh, this blue one that says Kolb Wangert, um, let me see if I can find page number for us. It's going to be page 467. If you have this, this blue one, uh, the Kolb Wangert, and uh, I think this is actually the one that I bought in college. So this is, well, now it says Patrick Jacobs. Uh, so if you have that one, 467, if you have this one, Concordia of the Lutheran Confessions, uh, which is, uh, you know, it's got pictures and everything. Um, if you have the second edition, then it's going to be 431, page 431. I don't know, do you have the second edition back there? Good. So 431 is, is going to be where we'll start with that. Uh, if you have the first edition, it looks a lot like this, but it, it won't say second edition. Uh, the page number is going to be different. Um, I don't have one of those out here. I have to go back and grab it. Uh, you might have to have an adventure. Um, and then uh, somebody in the peanut gallery back there has my purse edition, or what I call the purse edition. It's not I don't have a purse, but if I did... I can carry it in there. Uh, that's a small one, so the page numbers in that are a little bit different, but uh, if you look at the top of the page, it has the page numbers of the large edition there uh, in brackets or something. So that's what that is. Uh, I, however, am going to read off my iPad. Uh, I downloaded it off the website. Uh, if you go to our website, um, there's 
copies of the, I guess, the documents in the Book of Concord that come from the Triglata, which is uh, from 1921, but it's in the public domain, which means I can read it on this live stream. Yeah, you had a question. Oh, you look like you had a question back there. I didn't make a sheet for this week, so I apologize. Uh, normally, when we have Bible study in person, I make, uh, make sheets with questions on them, and uh, I guess I haven't made them for the last couple weeks. Maybe I should, should get back into that. Uh, so, it's, uh, we went through the page number in this, so we went through the page number in this. Uh, if you are downloading it from the website, if you go to our website, stjohnsandgracelp.com, and you download it from there, it's going to take you to a document, and it's going to be about page 70 in the document. So uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes with that. We're going to have an adventure, and it's already begun. But we should begin uh, with prayer, uh, from our prayer here. And if you remember Sunday, the gospel reading was John chapter 16, where Jesus says, uh, A little while, and you will not see me. And then again, a little while, and you will see me. Uh, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. And then, of course, it ends with Jesus saying, uh, you know, but you will see me again, and you, you will rejoice. Uh, talking about his, his death and resurrection. Uh, that after our Lord died, uh, his disciples, of course, hid. Uh, they locked themselves in that upper room for, for fear of the Jews, as we know. Uh, they were filled with, with fear and uh, uncertainty about what would happen. And in our lives as well, uh, we also bear, bear crosses of different sorts and, and tribulations. And so in this prayer, you're going to hear that language of a cross and tribulation, but asking that the Lord would lead us not to despair, but, but to cling to him. Uh, so let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, who in your fatherly goodness are pleased to chasten your children on earth with the rod of discipline, that we may be conformed to the likeness of your only begotten Son in both present suffering and future glory. We beseech you to comfort us with your Holy Spirit in tribulation and cross, that we may not despair, but cling firmly to this comfort, according to the promise of your Son that our suffering will be but little, and then shall follow eternal joy, that by such hope we may patiently overcome all misfortune, and through Jesus Christ obtain salvation. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So, welcome everyone to our, our continuing study of the large catechism. Uh, if the live stream should go out, I am recording uh, the audio of our gathering this morning. So if the live stream should drop, um, I'll find a way to get that audio up there, and that'll be available uh, the same way that I'm putting the sermons up, if you have a podcast app on your phone, uh, the same way that you're getting those, I'll put this up there, and we'll figure it out as it happens. It might not drop, uh, and we'll be just fine. So, let's dive into the large catechism. And we're in part five, which concerns the, the sacrament of the altar. We, we did start it last week, but let's restart it once I find my my page here. All right. Now, the last couple weeks we did talk about infant baptism. And uh, do you remember Luther's advice to, uh, if somebody comes and troubles you about uh, baptizing babies, uh, do you remember how, how Luther said the first way you're supposed to respond to that? Uh, it's kind of tricky, but pretty simple. 
the first thing he said is, uh, if you're not a, a scholar, don't even bother with the question. Uh, you know, just let somebody else deal with it. Uh, but then he says, but the reality is, baptism is not something that we do, but something that, that God does. Uh, and therefore, since the beginning of the church, you know, Christians have always baptized babies. Uh, and, you know, and that's the second response is, you know, it depends on, you know, what you understand to be baptism. Uh, if you understand baptism as the Bible teaches, then why not baptize babies? But if you have a strange teaching or a new teaching on baptism, well, then we have to address that. Uh, and this continues with the sacrament of the altar. So let's dive in. We're in the, the large catechism on the fifth part, which is on the sacrament of the altar. And we'll start right at paragraph one. In the same manner as we have heard regarding holy baptism, and I'm using the old translation so the words will be a little bit different. Ah, now I lost my page again. Technology. Okay, I'm not going to do that again. In the same manner as we have heard regarding holy baptism, we must speak also concerning the other sacrament, namely, these three points. What is it? What are its benefits? And who is to receive it? And all these are established by the words by which Christ has instituted it, and which everyone who desires to be a Christian and go to the sacrament should know. For it is not our intention to admit to it and to administer it to those who know not what they seek or why they come. Uh, now, two of our students were uh, received their examination last night uh, that uh, we will be having confirmation on Sunday, and, and I mentioned this to both of them, that you know, prior to receiving the Lord's Supper, they're first examined and absolved. And that comes from the Augsburg Confession, but also from here, uh, that you know, we permit to those to the altar who know what it is and, and why we receive it. Um, and so that comes from Luther a little bit there. Paragraph 3. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the remission of sins. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. And those, of course, are the words of institution, which if you grew up with uh, the red hymnal, uh, which was originally blue, the TLH, you probably know that, that language. In the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped. And uh, when I was at seminary, I was a field worker in Monroeville, Indiana, and, and Pastor Christian, who was a very good and faithful pastor and, and mentor of mine, when he was in seminary, that's the way he learned the words of institution was, you know, after he had supped. And I always wondered, what does it mean to sup? You know, and uh, to have supper, I guess. So if you're, if you're uh, you know, of the generation that you grew up with the TLH, you've heard that word before. But if you're young, maybe go and figure out what it means to sup. Anyway, let us continue. Paragraph four. Here also... We do not wish to enter into controversy and contend with 
the traducers and blasphemers of this sacrament. But to learn first, as we did regarding baptism, what is of the greatest importance? Namely, that the chief point is the word and ordinance or command of God. For it has not been invented nor introduced by any man, but without anyone's counsel and deliberation, it has been instituted by Christ. Right? So uh, maybe you've heard that argument before. Um, there, there are certain groups within the church and, and outside of the church that, as with baptism, so they do with the Lord's Supper. And they say, well, you know, the Lord's Supper was invented by men. Baptism was invented by men. Uh, you know, and they might go to the book of Acts and, you know, they'll find all the parts where it talks about baptism and then they'll just put their hand over it and say, ha, the Bible doesn't talk about it. You know, or go, they'll go in the epistles of Paul, like in Romans 6 or in Titus chapter 3, where it talks about baptism and they'll put their hand over it and say, ah, that's not baptism. Uh, Luther says, we're not going to fall for that. And instead, just like with baptism, we're going to do with the Lord's Supper. We're going to go back to the scriptures and find... Who is it that gives us the Lord's Supper? And well, the answer for both, you know, baptism and the supper, is Christ, of course. And he did not consult us when instituting the supper. Uh, that, that would be silly. Uh, no, he instituted it himself without any input from us, which is just fine. Paragraph 5. Therefore, just as the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer and the creed retain their nature and worth, although you never keep, pray, or believe them, so also does this venerable sacrament remain undisturbed, so that nothing is detracted or taken from it, even though we employ and dispense it unworthily. What do you think God cares about what we do or believe, so that on that account he should suffer his ordinance to be changed? Why, in all worldly matters, everything remains as God has created and ordered it, no matter how we employ or use it. This must always be urged, for thereby the prating of nearly all the fanatical spirits can be repelled. For they regard the sacraments, aside from the word of God, as something that we do. Right, so... This is a, a little bit of a, I guess we need to know what is Luther getting at with, with this paragraph. Um, now let me think. The Lord's Supper is the Lord's Supper, whether you believe it or not, right? Uh, we, we know that from the catechism, from the small catechism, that the Lord's Supper is the Supper because of, of Christ's work, that, that he is the one who instituted it, um, therefore we cannot change it, right? Uh, and just because somebody does something different regarding the Lord's Supper, uh, that doesn't mean the Lord's Supper changes, that means that they are, are deviating uh, from what the scriptures teach. Um, so, uh, for example, and, I, and I, I have to be careful with this one, um, there are certain you know, denominations and, and, and groups within our own denomination that when it comes to the Lord's Supper, 
they might change the elements. Uh, and I don't mean uh, different, different kinds of bread. You know, some church bodies use uh, leavened bread, and then we use the, the whole sun leavened bread. But, but there's another element that sometimes gets changed. Uh, and in some whole church bodies, you will only find, you know, uh, grape juice. You will not find wine used in the Lord's Supper in certain whole church bodies. Now, does that mean that the Lord's Supper is now the host and then grape juice? Well, no, it means that they've kind of swerved a little bit. The Lord's Supper remains the Lord's Supper, even if we sometimes misuse it. And so that's kind of what Luther's getting at, is, you know, pulling different levers and seeing what happens. And Luther says that, you know, the Lord's Supper is the Lord's Supper because Christ instituted it. Therefore, don't pull any levers to change from it, right? So let's come back into this. And I know that, that that's a difficult point, and, and it's a point that's uh, kind of always in discussion. I wouldn't say arguments. I, I, don't, I don't think there's anybody you know, in our church body that's arguing about this, but it, it's a constant discussion about you know, what do you do. Um, anyway, let's continue. Paragraph 8. Now, what is the sacrament of the altar? Answer. It is the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, in and under the bread and wine, which we Christians are commanded by the word of Christ to eat and to drink. And as we have said of baptism, that it is not simple water, so here also we say the sacrament is bread and wine, but not mere bread and wine, such as are ordinarily served at the table, but bread and wine comprehended in and connected with the Word of God. Now, I want to go back to what I just said a moment ago because I totally forgot something. Uh, and that is, in Luther's time, when it came to receiving the Lord's Supper, they did it differently in the Roman Catholic Church than we would do it now. Does anybody know... When it came to the distribution, what was often different in the church at Luther's time than, say, the way we celebrate it now? Yeah, there, there's somebody uh, back to my, my left here making a, a little, little finger. And, uh, and what that one finger means is that in Luther's time, the laity only received communion in one kind means they only received the host. The priest, he got to receive the chalice and sometimes the whole chalice, I, I would guess. Uh, but uh, the, the laity only received in one kind and, and sometimes not even in that. Uh, sometimes your job as a layperson was to, to stand and watch while the priest communes, but you didn't get part of that. Uh, and that's not, that's not universal, but that, that did happen from time to time. Uh, there were occasions where... Uh, uh, you know, people would take hosts and then they would run away with them and things like that. And not eat them, but they would run away with them and, you know, and give it to uh, uh, the witch in the village or something like that. that that's what would happen. Uh, and, uh, and this goes back, I don't know, it's the 1100s or so. I, I don't know when the cup was removed, but there, there, there were two arguments. The one is that, well, in your body, you have veins and arteries and things like that. And, uh, and if I take a, a biopsy of my hand here, 
you know, I very likely might uh, get some blood in it, right? You might take a piece of vein, there might be some blood in the flesh. And so their first argument was, well, when you receive a host, you're receiving the whole of Christ, uh, which includes his blood. That even though you commune with just the host, uh, you're still getting Christ's blood in there. Right? That was the first argument, which is a, a tricky argument, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's almost convincing, you know, but it's not. Uh, and the second argument was, we can't trust the lady not to spill the wine. Now, isn't that a silly argument? But it did get argued. I wouldn't say that's like, if you go to their catechism, it's going to say that. Uh, in fact, it'll say the first one, that, you know, the whole of Christ is present in the host. Therefore, you don't need to commune in both kinds. Uh, that, that's the argument that you would find, you know, dogmatized, put into, into code. Uh, but from time to time, it was argued that, you know, the laity are sloppy and uneducated, and therefore... They cannot be trusted to receive from the chalice without spilling, or you know, or some variation of that. And of course, Luther's like, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he said, "Take and eat, and take and drink." What's unclear about that? And, you know, and so restore the chalice to to everybody as the way it should be, right? Uh, however, there are some in our time who uh, who commune in one kind, and uh, we'll talk about that. Not now, uh, some other way. But that that those arguments were present. So when Luther's talking about you know just you know ch making changes to the sacrament, I think what started this is I, as I missed that is that that might have been something that Luther was addressing as well. That when the church removed the chalice from the laity, they were not changing the Lord's Supper, but they were deviating from Christ's institution if that makes sense, right? You know, they weren't changing what the Lord's Supper is. They were departing from what, what Christ gave. Uh, and it's the same thing like, uh, you know, we live in a time where uh, different church bodies are making changes to their, their position on things, to their doctrinal stances. Uh, they're they're retranslating the Bible to change things. And then they base new teachings on these changes that they make. Uh, and... Uh, we would say, well, God's word doesn't change. You change, or, or we change. You know, um, in the Lutheran Church, we don't believe that doctrine changes. You know, uh, in many other church bodies, and some some very large church bodies, they believe that as time progresses, uh, Christian doctrine changes. You know, it changes with with the society, and you can think of the dangers of that, that if Christian doctrine changes according to the time and, and who the Christians are that believe it, well, then what is Christianity? Ever think about that? Like, if Christian doctrine changes by who it is that practices it, that, you know, Christianity as an ism or as an idi uh, is a moving target. And so in Lutheranism, we believe, well, Christ instituted Christian doctrine uh, when we come up with new doctrine uh, that's not in the Bible, well, we're actually, this is where doctrine is, and we're going over here, right? Doctrine stays the same. Uh, now, that's a very Lutheran point, so I'm going to come off of my field trip here, and let's come back into this, you know. Suffice to say, the Lord's Supper does not change, because who instituted it? Well, the Lord, right? The Lord. That's why it's called the Lord's Supper, 
Okay, let's come back into this. So, paragraph 10, paragraph 10. It is the word, I say, which makes and distinguishes this sacrament, so that it is not mere bread and wine, but is and is called the body and blood of Christ. Uh, for it is said, uh, and, and here in my text there's some Latin, uh, but then there's a translation, uh, if the word be joined to the element, it becomes a sacrament. Uh, and that's St. Augustine, actually. Uh, this saying of St. Augustine is so properly and so well put that he has scarcely said anything better. The word must make a sacrament of the element, else it remains a mere element. Now it is not the word or ordinance of a prince or emperor, but of the sublime majesty at whose feet all creatures should fall and affirm it as he says, and accept it with all reverence, fear, and humility. Right? So who gives us the Lord's Supper? Well, well it's Christ. And, and what makes it the Lord's Supper? Well, it's, it's Christ's word. Right? And that's what a sacrament is, 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 is word and, and then element, right? instituted by Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And so Luther says, you know, it's the word that, that does this. Uh, and Luther does quote, who did we say he quoted right there? Um, it probably says in your reader's edition, it says, uh, does it say something along the lines of Augustine as St. Augustine says or something like that? Um, when Luther was a monk, he was an Augustinian monk. And there, there are different kinds of monks. You're probably familiar with that. There's, you know, Jesuits and Dominicans and Cistercians and Benedictines. And, and you get into nuns. There are Carmelites and things like that. There are these different kind of schools of thought. And one of those uh, was Augustinian after St. Augustine. So Luther knows his Augustine pretty well. And so he says, actually, Augustine was the one who said uh, that you add the word to the element and it becomes a sacrament. And Luther's like... That's a really good thought. He's right there. You know, Augustine isn't right on everything, uh, but, a, but a lot of stuff. You know, and, and Lutheran teaching isn't new. Augustine was right on, on a lot. I mean, if you read like uh, Augustine's uh, City of God or, or his Confessions, a very, very good read. Give it a shot. Long. Good thing we have this quarantine. Uh, all right. Paragraph 12. With this word, you can strengthen your conscience and say, If a hundred thousand devils, together with all fanatics, should rush forward, crying, How can bread and wine be the body and blood of Christ? etc. I know that all spirits and all scholars together are not as wise as is the divine majesty in his little finger. I like, I like that. I like that. Now here stands the word of Christ. Take, eat, this is my body. Drink ye all of it. This is the New Testament in my blood. Here we abide and would like to see those who will constitute themselves his masters and make it different from what he has spoken. It is true indeed that if you take away the word or regard it without the words, you have nothing but mere bread and wine. But if the words remain with them, as they shall and must, 
then in virtue of the same, it is truly the body and blood of Christ. For as the lips of Christ say and speak, so it is, as he can never lie or deceive. Uh, now, do you guys remember three years ago was uh, the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, or so we call it, you know, the 500th anniversary of posting the 95 Theses. That's what we really celebrate. There's a whole lot of 500 anniversaries going on, you know, this year and, and in the following years. Um, you know, so next year will be 500 of the Diet of Worms, you know, and so we'll probably hear something about that. Uh, but about three years ago, there was a new Luther movie that came out, and it was on PBS. Um, I think it was the one with all the interviews, but they, they, did a, they did a scene that most other Luther movies don't do. Uh, and it's, there was this event called the, the Colloquy at Marburg. Uh, Colloquy at Marburg. And it was between Luther and some other dudes, and, and one of the dudes was Zwingli. And Zwingli, uh, I don't know, if we, if we were at seminary, there's a certain professor that when you hear bad names, you're supposed to hiss. Uh, and so when you hear Zwingli, you're supposed to go, hiss! You know, uh, maybe don't do that. Or don't do that in public. Good thing we're not in public. Uh, wait, we're on the internet. Uh, I won't say which professor. Uh, how about that? Uh, well, Zwingli was the you know, the forefather of, you know, the, what we now today know as, as the Amish or the Mennonites, uh, and, then, and then even the Baptists. Uh, and it's kind of ironic because Zwingli died in battle. Uh, he was a soldier and he died in battle. However, uh, at the Colloquy of Marburg, it came to the topic of the Lord's Supper. And uh, Mr. Zwingli, uh, he was of the, the inclination that when Jesus says is, he means represents. This represents and this represents. Uh, and he had all sorts of strange arguments. Uh, and uh, he, he talked a lot, uh, as Luther did. And so you can imagine this conversation. However, eventually Luther uh, gets tired of talking. And he, he takes a piece of chalk and he writes, uh, Hoc est corpus meum. You know, in Latin for this is my body. And he just wrote it in chalk. And then he, he put the tablecloth over it. And whenever Zwingli would go off on whatever, he, he'd pull up the, the tablecloth and he'd point at the chalk on the table and just kept going back and back and back uh, to the words of Christ. And of course, the, the colloquy ended there. I don't think there might have been agreement on, on some topics, but of course not on the Lord's Supper. Uh, and, but he just kept going back and back and, and irritatingly. Uh, back to the words of Christ. And so that's what Luther's getting at in the catechism. He's, he's like, even if there are 10,000 devils out there and, and all those fanatics out there, you know, crying and, and babbling about how the Lord's Supper can't be Christ's body and blood, God has more wisdom in his little finger than all of them combined, he says. And so we return to the words of Christ, who, who is God, who cannot uh, be in error uh, or, or deceit. And if there's any confirmation students out there, we talked about this, that, well, why do we believe Christ's words? Well, because he's not a liar. And because he's God, and he can do it. If he says, this is my body, this is my blood, why, why not believe him? You know, and, and there are words uh, for, you know, represents, or this signifies, or this, uh, you know, stands in line for, uh, but that's not what Christ says.